0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. John chapter 15, verses 6 through 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now last week, we ended the message by discussing the fact that vine branches are good for nothing except bearing fruit. Uh, Branches that don't bear fruit take very important sap from the rest of the vine, and therefore they're trimmed off uh, because of their no value. You also recall that we said that branches that don't produce fruit aren't good for anything else. They're not like a tree where you can cut it down and, and cut, cut, cut it into lumber and use the wood for, for uh, building furniture or homes or, or all kinds of things. When the vine or when the branch is not producing fruit, it has no other value whatsoever. And so it's cast off. So the great instruction to you and I from the Lord this morning is remain, abide, actively participate in fruit bearing, because that's what it's all about. If we weren't to be bearing fruit, God would have saved us and spared us all the aggravation and just brought us home. But he left you and I here for very specific purposes, and that purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ, to bear the kind of fruit that draws others to him. And that's what's very critical. So let's look at abiding, first of all, this morning, or remaining, as it's translated in some of your translations. Abiding in Christ is really the main point of this passage. The word remain or abide occurs eight times in just seven verses. And the thought is alluded to even more often in, other, in the rest of the, uh, the chapter and in the, in the, uh, the rest of the uh, book. So we can never fully understand the failure to remain in Christ until we really understand what remaining in Christ means. What does it really mean to abide in, in Christ? Well, there's several things. First of all, remaining or abiding in Christ is really for only those who are Christians. Okay, number one, it is christ it is it is in christ remaining in christ is for those who are in christ already so in other words this whole abiding process is being directed specifically to those who have genuinely accepted jesus christ as their personal savior they believe that he went to the cross they believe that he died and rose again and that that victory paid for their sins and they have genuinely accepted him as their savior, knowing that they will be with him for eternity. Those are the people that Jesus is directing this whole abiding concept to. Number two, it refers to a conscious decision or choices in living the Christian life. So when the Lord says, abide in me, he is talking about the will. He's talking about making choices. He's talking about the decisions we make that encourage us to abide with Christ. We must choose to do these things that expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. We choose the things that draw us to him, that educate us, whether it's reading the Bible or being in Bible studies or coming to church, anywhere we can get our hands on all the tools necessary to understand more about Christ. Now, we must choose to maintain that relationship by the decisions we make. Decisions to expose ourselves to his word in order to learn about him and to relate to him in prayer and to have conversations with him and decisions to relate with other believers in body life experiences, uh, confessing ourselves one to another, speaking, sharing uh, positive things to one another and it building up the body. And then number three Abiding, it provides our needs. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. To the person who's not abiding in Christ, we forfeit verse 7. So if you're wrestling with things and praying, and it seems like God is silent, the first thing you need to do is take a look at yourself and ask, am I abiding in Christ? Am I actively seeking his will in my life? That's the person who can call upon him and get what they need. So we've seen this already in numerous chapters in, in other contexts. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 23, we also saw Christ speak of this in the relationship to love. Look at John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me and will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him, abiding in us, that means that Jesus Christ and the father will be actively involved in your daily experience. Think about that. The God of the universe is offering himself to you. To come in and make his home in you. To guide you into all truth. That is an offer to the Christian, the child of God, who is abiding in Christ. This is a very key thing for you and I because we we just seem to forfeit over and over again this tremendous opportunity. So some people imagine that they can have the person of Christ without the doctrine of Christ. They like the idea of Jesus, but shy away from his teaching. However, Jesus stated very clearly that he will come to none and make his abode with none except those who abide in him. Spurgeon once wrote this on this theme. He said, quote, We cannot separate Christ from the word, for in the first place, he is the word. And in the next place, how dare we call him master and Lord and do not the things which he says and reject the truth that he teaches. So this becomes a very grave warning because I believe that there are a lot of people who attend churches all over America who have no relationship with Christ. They're in love with the idea of Christ, but they've never given their lives to Christ. Now, I blame this on the church, quite frankly. I blame it on the way we witness to people. We, we have this mantra, okay? And, and I hope this doesn't offend some of you, but just hear me out. We have this thing we do. You want to get saved? Sure, okay. Pray after me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died. I believe he died. I accept him as my Savior to come into my heart. I accept him as my Savior to come into my heart. Okay, am I in? Well, I've got to be baptized. Now am I in? Well, yeah. Really? No. Now, some of you may be panicking right now and say, hey, wait, I prayed a prayer like that. It's okay. Did your life change? You see, words don't change a man. Actions change a man. And when God's Spirit comes into your life, the Bible says old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. It isn't so much that I have to work for things. But it is a surrender to the Spirit of God that draws me to Him. And what happens is as I grow and I learn and I develop, the very focus of my life is Christ. The decisions I make surround Christ. Everything that I want in my life is focused on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And that's where oftentimes we miss the boat. Because we we put it into these cute little words and statements and think we're fine. Where is in the Bible does it say, ask Jesus to come into your heart? It doesn't say that anywhere. We've put that in words because it's kind of easy to understand. What, What the Bible says is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that believe is action. It's believing with everything about yourself. I trust that Jesus Christ died for me, and I accept that, and I give my life to him. And so this is important to understand because let's look now at not abiding. Because in the midst of these encouraging instructions, there is a frightening note. For Jesus speaks of the opposite possibility, the possibility of not remaining in him. And in this case, in verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned so we have a problem we have a problem for christians it is the language of this verse jesus does not say that if we fail to abide in him we'll sim- simply be unfruitful although we will be unfruitful nor does he say we will suffer the loss of all things yet be saved as paul clearly taught in in first corinthians 3 15 he said If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will will be saved, but only as through fire. Rather, he seems to say that if a man does not remain in him, he will be cut off from the vine and shall wither and be gathered and with others be thrown into the to be burned. Now, the last verb makes one think of being burned in hell. So the text seems to teach the possibility, if not the fact, that someone who were once saved could eventually lose their salvation by not bearing fruit. Is this how we're supposed to take verse 5, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Can we then lose our place in Christ Jesus? Does verse 6 really teach that? Well, if we're going to accept that truth, then here's what we have to reject. We have to reject Philippians 1.6. And I am sure, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So how could Paul be so sure that that he who begins this good work in us will bring it to the completion until when Jesus Christ comes, if we could be cut off by failing to bear fruit. We also must reject Romans 8, because now there is something that can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as as sheep to the slaughter. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, we would even have to reject our own teaching in the book of John we've been going through. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and, they, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Not even you. So we would have to reject all these verses and many more if John 15, 16 refutes our security. Now, at this point, the Arminian, that's the person who believes you can lose your salvation, would jump in and say of John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, true. No one can pluck us out of his hand, but we can choose to opt out if we want. But this is interesting because notice, this is not what John 15, 6 is saying. It is saying that God himself will thrust us out more than that, not because of some grave sin like murder or adultery or something, but by simply not bearing fruit. And this is by the same God who has pledged to defend us against all enemies. Something's missing here. Can a Christian really believe this? I don't think it's possible if you think it through. Because if that were the nature of God, then we'd have been cast out long ago. So what is the correct view? What are we to believe by this passage? What he is saying here is that it's the believer's works that are burned up. It is his works that do not bring glory to Christ. And it is the Christian's role as a fruit bearer and not his salvation that's in discussion in this passage. So, how do we support this? First, it is the fruitfulness rather than salvation that is viewed throughout this whole chapter true the matter of burning is often associated with hell and therefore the loss or, or the non-possession of salvation but that is not always the case and we saw that earlier in first corinthians three fifteen. if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire in other words it's the salvation work of jesus christ that stands the fire not you And so our works, our lives, the things that we've sought, the things that we've gone at, the careers we go after, all the things that we try to establish for ourselves will one day all be burned up. And only what will last is the gold and the silver, the jewels that have been been accomplished in our lives. And that main one is salvation that Christ does. So it is associated with useless works rather than salvation. Now the second reason is because Observe the actual wording of the verse. It is, for example, like a branch that one who is thrown away is thrown away. Therefore, it is not as a son that he is thrown away, but as a fruit bearer. So he's pruned like a branch, a worthless branch, and that is cast away, but not the son that he's speaking of. And then third, you will note that there is an even even a change in the number between the first part of the sentence and the second. In the first part, the important term is singular. If any one does not abide. In the second part of the key, the key term is plural. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. The them and the they may well be what issues from the one who is thrown away in terms of usefulness. So literally what Jesus is doing is painting a picture here Of a Christian abiding or not abiding. A Christian who abides produces fruit. And as we saw last week, what Jesus will do through the course of that growth is he will lift it up. Oftentimes, branches fall off and they're dragging on the ground. And the gardener comes along and he lifts the branch up and he cleans it, he cleanses it. He takes the the moss off it and any parasites. And then he restrings it up onto the vine so it can get sun and air and so that's part of the pruning process and parts of the branch that are useless he cuts off and throws them away so Jesus is actively working in your life and my life to succeed now think about that just, just let that kind of sink in for a minute you and I know that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us we, we, we've got that And and if you have accepted him as your savior, and you know you have him for eternity, you have peace in that reality. But Jesus goes beyond that. Not only, child of God, have I secured you for eternity, but now here on earth, I want you to be successful. I want you to bear much fruit. Not just an occasional thing here. I want you to be an overwhelmed bloom just full of grapes. because when you and I are full of grapes, what happens we glorify Jesus Christ so and again not only is he securing your eternity but he wants to walk with you he wants you to abide with him so his spirit can continue to bloom in you and to grow within you wonderful fruit that will touch other people and if you just think for a moment about your week how much of your week was focused on bearing fruit for Jesus Christ I mean it's tough isn't it between jobs between kids between responsibilities and appointments and where we go we have done such a wonderful job of scheduling our lives into oblivion and we have no time to even think about glorifying Christ in case something just gets thrust right in our faces But Jesus is going to prune. He's going to continue to get out of your life what's worthless. Habits that do not bring glory to God. Relationships that do not bring glory to God. He wants your heart and my heart to have one singular purpose in the remaining days we have here on this earth, and that's to bring glory to Christ. That's the beauty. And he continues to work through us through those situations now lot would be a great example of this he was out of fellowship with the lord he ceased to bear fruit to his glory and his dead works were all burned up in sodom but he was saved so let's talk for a moment then about fruitless christians and if you're here this morning you know who you are okay this isn't rocket science if you're a fruitless christian Listen very carefully. Shall we relax now knowing that we are not contemned to hell for fruitlessness? Our reaction should be one of horror. Rather than think it possible to be saved by Christ, to be cultivated, to be washed, cleansed, cared for in every way by the heavenly husbandmen, to be preserved for heaven and yet not to be fruitful in a proper response to what the one has done for us, saved and fruitless? Is that really what we want? It's so foolish for us to be content just to go through life, just to go through life without abiding in him. Because when we do that, understand, we forfeit a couple of very key things. There's a lot of things we could say here. I'm just going to say two. Number one, You forfeit fruitfulness. You forfeit the ability to have a life full of fruit for Christ. You forfeit the rewards waiting in heaven for those who are fruitful. You will say, my life and my goals are more important. And I'll just pray that God will bless me. And that's the way most Christians go through life. He is saying, I want you to bear much fruit. But here's the second thing that we forfeit. And this this is this amazes me personally when I realize this every, every time. We forfeit answered prayer. We forfeit answered prayer. Look at verse 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I mean, if God seems silent, folks, check your abiding. Now, how is it that this verse says, if you abide me and my words abide in me, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you? Here's the the basic skinny on this. When I'm abiding in Christ, the Spirit has his way with me. He's like that energy, life-giving sap that flows from the vine into the branch. And when the Spirit is not hindered in my life, there is only one possible thing that can happen and that's fruit. That's the only thing that can happen because that's what he promised. So I know I'm going to bear fruit, but then I can come to him, whatever I wish, whatever I need, he'll do it. Well, what do I wish? What do I wish for? What do I need? What do I want? When that spirit is flowing through you and and me, the only thing we want is a bring glory. And those prayers become tremendously changed. You know, uh, one of my favorite passages in Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you're surrendered to Christ, when you're surrendered your life to him, he changes your heart to want the things he wants you to want. And so when you pray, you're praying in accordance with what he wishes. And those prayers will be answered every time. But when we don't abide, we're praying for human things because that's all we know. And if you've ever experienced this before where you've been in a situation where you had to just surrender, your prayers became dramatically different. You went from praying, God, please do this, please meet this need, please help this to. God, not my will, but yours. God, how can I glorify you in this situation? And see, that's how the apostles made it through life. These guys were brutally beaten. All of them were martyred in very gruesome ways, but through their lives, the things they endured. Paul talks about it when he says that being shipwrecked three times, being abandoned, being bit by serpents, cast in prison, whipped by nine tails so you could see his backbone. And they just praise God. That just doesn't seem possible. But when you're abiding in Christ, all things are possible to them who love God. And as you sit here this morning, realizing you sit in a vineyard, and every one of you is a branch that God is working, pruning, developing, lifting up out of the dirt, sometimes it hurts. It's painful. But his whole goal is not to hurt you, but to lift you up. His whole goal is to make you so fruitful that He can be glorified, your life is is full of glory, and you can pray and have all your needs met in this life. That's a promise straight from God. And the key part here, and what happens is my last point, God glorified. Notice John 15, 8. By this, my Father is glorified. How is He glorified? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple how is God glorified that you bear much fruit and while you're at it prove that you're my disciple the connection between John 15 verse 7 and John 15 verse 8 is the connection that the glory of God has with prayer according to the will of God and a connection that we've already seen in John 14, verses 13 through 14. Notice, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. But here the emphasis is different. John 14, the emphasis is upon prayer itself. That is uh, what what to be answered, what is to be answered in order to comfort the disciples. But in John 15, the emphasis is on glorifying God. In this text, the glorification of God is linked to four elements, each of which should be clearly visible in your life and mine. And those elements are fruitfulness, love, obedience, and joy. Joy, utter joy, because you know your life is fruitful. Each one is linked to the central theme of this chapter, The need for Christians consciously and consistently to remain in Christ, to bear fruit. Look at verse 8 again. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If we were accused of being Christians... Would there be enough evidence to convict us? It's really what he's saying. This is why the Bible tells us in Philippians 2.12 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear because am I abiding? Am I walking with Christ? Is he everything to me? Is that who I am to be? And trembling at the thought that I might not be bringing glory to God. Have you ever trembled at the prospect of not glorifying God? And if you're here like a lot of Christians, you go, yeah, I, no, I've never trembled. That's what abiding produces. Abiding in Christ produces a deep desire to bring glory to Him. And when I'm not glorifying Him, I tremble. Because that means my life is out of whack. And here, Here's the beautiful thing of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Let me read that first part again. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal possession. When you're abiding in Christ, your life is like a parade, it's like coming back from the battle, having won the battle. And you're marching in triumphal possession. possession, possession. Ah, procession. Think about that. That's the life that's just hanging there for you and I. And the verse goes on. And through us, and I love this part, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Have you ever gone into a grove in the spring when the blooms are just out? And you just want to sit there and Oh, it's just, it's so beautiful. That sweet fragrance draws you in. Well, think about this. Every one of us can be that same fragrance that draws people to Christ. People see a life that's abiding in Christ and men and women are drawn to it because of the sweet smell and the wonderful fruit. And this is what Christ has promised to every one of us. Your life and mine can be one of unspeakable success and glory. It may not be free of troubles. It may not be free of trials. But I guarantee you that when you surrender to Christ, you become a sweet smell of victory. You become a fragrance that's overwhelming. And you will produce so much fruit that Jesus Christ can say of you, I'm glorified because you are bringing much fruit to me. What do you need? Name it, it's done. This isn't a name it and claim it thing in the human sense. This is a spirit-led prayer that gets God's answer. You and I have been given a wonderful picture this morning of what the true vine and the true branches are. And when you and I get pruned and it hurts, know that the whole purpose of that pruning is so you can bear more fruit and become a sweet and wonderful fragrance. And Father, I just ask this morning that as we consider the reality that every person in this room who's accepted you as Savior, we are those branches. We are the specific branches that you not only died for, but now you've set out through the course of our lives to make us a glorious and wonderful sweet smell of fruit berry. God, I just pray this morning that if there's anyone here who has never trusted you as Savior, these, this message is really not for them. But by surrendering accepting what you did on Calvary to pay for their sins and allowing your spirit to come in and change their lives, they can now reap that benefit. I pray if there's anyone here this morning in that state that they would not leave without seeing me or going back to the prayer room and praying with somebody back there. Father, I just want to pray for Christians this morning, all of us here this morning. May we be honest enough with ourselves Yes, I am a fruit bearer, but God, I am not living up anywhere near my potential for you. You want me to bear much fruit. You want me to bring glory to you, and I am not doing that. In this very moment, I give myself to you, to lead me, to guide me every step, and to show me how to...